This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, and I am joined, as always, by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? Pretty good, Tom. Listeners, you might notice that our audio quality is back because Tom has working internet again. I don't want to jinx anything or assume anything, but I, yes, I am just a huge fan of Spectrum. <laughs> um, we are going to be talking about Celtics Sixers game one. Um, the Celtics beat the Sixers 109 to 102. Really nice games from Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. First and foremost, though, I think in instant reactions, we have to talk about Gordon Hayward's ankle injury. Hayward sprained his ankle. They're calling it a right ankle sprain. Just kind of came down awkwardly. I couldn't tell if he stepped on Daniel Tice's foot or not. Whatever happened, it bent quite a bit, looked really painful. Hayward hobbled off the court. Nicole, what what, what are just kind of your initial thoughts on uh, the injury? So I didn't even realize what had happened. I think that's the disadvantage of watching the TV broadcast because you can basically only see where the ball is. But like you mentioned, they were battling for a defensive rebound. Hayward landed on Tice's foot. So Hayward's right foot just basically rolled over Tice's foot. I feel like that actually happens not quite often, but like we've seen that happen before in a basketball Quite game. often, yeah. <laughs> and guys are fine. So initially yeah. when I heard that and saw that, I was like, oh, like obviously that's going to hurt for that initial second, but like he should be fine, presumably. Maybe he won't come back because it was with three minutes in the fourth quarter, but he should be fine moving forward. But then he stayed out the whole next play. Jalen Brown just like intentionally fouls a sixer to then let Hayward off the court, which he limps off and needed help to just get from like the Philly basket to the locker room. Celtics diagnosed him with the right ankle sprain, which of course is not the ankle that he fractured two seasons ago. But he, according to reporters in the arena, left in a walking boot and had crutches. According to ESPN, he is getting an MRI tonight. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think this is the type of injury where I wouldn't be surprised if he were available on Wednesday. And I won't be surprised if he's missing two games, if that makes sense. It does. I will say a couple of things. One, it is not at all uncommon to immobilize the foot in a walking boot and to go in crutches. Like a lot of people were really freaked out by that. And I get it because crutches in a walking boot sound like, you know, oh my goodness, like he's, you know, he's broken. He's going to be off forever. That's pretty normal because you don't want the guy putting any pressure on it. Like what was he supposed to do? Like hobble out of the arena? You know what I mean? Like, and I think the important thing to note there too is because of the circumstances, they don't have the like Celtics treatment room. Yeah, exactly. Bare bones facilities there. So he. He has yeah. to go somewhere else to get that initial sort of treatment anyway. It was kind of a lose-lose in terms of optics there for him. I'm not saying that, you know, the fact that immobilizing it is normal, that doesn't mean that it isn't serious. Like, it absolutely could be. He certainly looked like he was in a lot of pain. Brad said that it started swelling right away. It's a little too early to kind of read into all of that stuff. Like, we'll see what happens. I think, to your point, it really could be something where he's back in the lineup Wednesday. I mean, the thing that is most impactful to the Celtics is just the damage that this does to their rotation. They don't have a whole lot right now. 
now. Like putting Marcus Smart in the starting lineup is good. Being able to replace Hayward with Smart is a huge luxury for a team. Then when you start to go into the rest of the bench, I mean, the Celtics are going to get real thin really quick. Without Hayward, it could get ugly quickly. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics bench scored eight points tonight. And Marcus Smart scored two of them, which is a low number for him. Yes. And I doubt he'll score two points on Wednesday. But if he scores however many points, he's going to be in the starting lineup if Hayward is out. So that means there's even less points available on the bench. Like, we we, we didn't see Shemi Ojale, who you and I both thought would be part of the playoff rotation. You, you go down the line a little bit. We barely saw Romeo Langford. Like, there's guys who are wings who can, you know, step into some of those roles. The hope would be that if you put Shemi in, you know, maybe he can give you a little bit of versatility defensively against, like, a Horford. Or, you know, maybe even, like, if he had to bang against Embiid for a possession, like, maybe he could at least be muscular against Embiid, even if he can't help him with his height. I mean, obviously you hope that Shemmy would be able to space the floor with some threes, but like losing Hayward's playmaking is going to be a major thing because part of the reason the Celtics have an advantage against the Sixers is because the Sixers don't have any real solid, you know, wing defense aside from like Matisse Thibel. Like, you know, you need to be able to punish them. You need to be able to take advantage of kind of their squishy defense with Joel Embiid dropping back and drop defenses. Like, but just having that other weapon on the floor makes everybody else, I feel like, significantly more dangerous. And the Celtics will really miss that if yeah. Hayward misses time. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to speculate like too much. 100%. At the very least, it'll be a good test because he is leaving eventually. Um, friend of the show, Ryan Bernadoni had a funny tweet. If Gordon is injured, Robin should induce labor now. <laughs> well, um, that but- said, the Sixers, uh, I think tonight showed the Celtics cannot take this Sixers team too lightly. And I felt like a lot of the reasons why were on display on Monday. Nicole, let's just like kind of go back and forth here a little bit. Like overall game takeaways. I mean, what was, what, what's some, what's kind of the first thing that stood out to you? So this game was really weird to me, and honestly, it... That was my first one, too. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like the season opener in Philly. The weird thing is, is that the Sixers obviously had, like, a 20-point lead in that game, and they were the dominating force, but the pace of the game and just, like, everything felt so similar. It's good, obviously, for the Celtics that they still won, but I think that the Celtics need to not play to the sort of the Sixers style, if that makes sense. Like, that's sort of why they were able to hang around, really, is because, like, it just stayed in this really, like, ugly, unesthetically pleasing basketball there were highlights, of course, but it was just like, it was not like a good game, if that makes sense. No, it makes 100% sense. I think one, one of the notes that I had on my, uh, like, really, like, highlighted and boxed in on my on my game notes was that the Sixers are so good at making you feel like you're just kind of playing, like, they're, they just make you feel off. It's not that they're that good. Like, they really aren't. Like, Joel Embiid is amazing, and, like, I'm on the record as being a huge Ben Simmons guy. They just have this way of, of making the whole game just kind of feel, like, uncomfortable and, like, a little weird. And, like, none of Gordon Hayward's shots before he got injured felt like they were in rhythm. Like, they just have a way of like even when your shots are open they're not like rhythm jumpers and even the way they defend like the the way they defend the pick and roll where Joel Embiid drops way back and then the defender just pursues you so hard over the screen and they're just like swiping at you from behind it's like I think about shooting in that perspective I'm like I would airball I mean I would anyway because I'm not an NBA player but if I was an NBA player I feel like I would airball every shot against them because it just feels so weird to have like somebody on your back like that 
But yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you 100%. They just have a weird way of playing basketball. Like their personnel is weird. Um, their style of play is appropriately weird for their weird personnel. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's a bizarre basketball team. And I, I think the Celtics are going to win this series, but like, I don't think it's going to feel good at any point for them. <laughs> and you say like, you know, that the Celtics can't get stuck playing Philly's game, but I think that's what Philly's so good at. They're really good at making you play the way they have a chance to win the game because it's going to be hard for the Celtics to get into that like ball movement, pace and space and everything that they were doing during the bubble. Philly just kind of doesn't let you do that. They're just big and long and tough. Yeah. Obviously, we had said that Joel Embiid would be really important for the Sixers. And starting the game, you thought that he was ready to, you know, make his presence and take over the game. And he started five for five. It looked like they were really, like, trying to find the ball. It was working in his favor to start. And then, like, but after starting five for five, he finished, I think, three for ten had one shot attempt in the last like 16 minutes I saw. And I mean, he only finished with like 15 shot attempts, which is just already like too low if you're trying to win a game. And like, he would just make some bizarre choices. Like he would pull up for three at times where like, I feel like that was an opportunity for Philly to like take whatever momentum they had. Like either the Celtics had just missed and they were in transition and Joel would like shoot a three or he also just like, I don't know if this is just how, like, a 7-foot, 280-pound man moves because, like, at that size, like, every motion at some point, like, seems very laborious. But, like, he looked kind of tired. I don't know how tired he actually was. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is obviously he turned the ball over too much. And he acknowledged yeah. that in his post-game comments. And, like, you just can't win when the guy that's supposed to be the best player on your team is, like, turning the ball over at the same frequency. There was one stat after the first half where the Sixers had 13 three-point shot attempts and 13 turnovers. Like, you just can't turn the ball over that much. But, I mean, it's encouraging that the score was this close and that they were around this much without Joel Embiid really taking over. So that sort of gives the Sixers hope, like, okay, if Joel Embiid can put forth that, like, 30-plus point, 15-plus rebound effort and take care of the ball, maybe there's hope. Yeah. I mean, the the problem is, and the reason that I would caution any Sixers fan against hope, is that everything you just said is, and I mean, Sixers fans know this better than we do, everything you just said is the quintessential Joel Embiid. He's not always going to uh, take efficient shots. He is going to take threes when he definitely shouldn't. He is going to take, like, even some of the shots you mentioned is five for five start. I feel like the Celtics would live with a lot of those shots. Like, I mean, let him shoot 10 step away jumpers a game and you're going to win the game, especially without Ben Simmons. Like, the types of shots that he takes are like not winning shots necessarily. And it, it's tough because you watch him on that play where I think it was in the second half where he had Daniel Tice on him and it just felt like, it felt like Daniel Tice got stuck in like, you know, the treads of a bulldozer and like, and B just rolled him straight into the basket. And like, he can do that, but it's like, I don't, I don't know that his conditioning is good enough to do that for 48 minutes or whatever it's got to be. And the problem for the Sixers is that Joel Embiid does not just need to be the best player on their team. He needs to be the best player on the floor and he needs to be the best player on the floor by like a lot for them to have a chance. I just have a hard time seeing that. The Celtics did such a good job. You mentioned the turnovers. They did such a good job of sort of mixing up their coverages and bringing a double sometimes. And sometimes the double was kind of soft and was just kind of there to deter him. And sometimes the double was super aggressive and was, you know, going in to try to get a steal and pretty much like doing all of that stuff and just just really keeping it kind of fresh and different and, uh, you know, a little bit confusing for him, I think. You know, he just, he just never really looked, I think after the first few minutes, one of the reasons he never looked comfortable was because I think he didn't know 
what kind of coverage the Celtics were going to throw at him at any given time. Like, you know, he didn't know, is Marcus Smart coming around my, you know, the, the blind side? Is he, you know, about to start to poke it away or whatever? And that can be, I think, really disconcerting for a post player who likes to take his time a little bit. I thought the times that he was really successful was when he got the ball and just instead of, you know, kind of facing up against Tice, he just immediately went into him or, or Cantor or whoever was guarding him. When he went quickly, I felt like the Sixers got really good stuff for the most part. I think he will play better. I think he'll pass a little bit better than he did today. I think he'll probably start to get used to how the Celtics are defending him. The Celtics will have to come up with something else. But I just, I I was honestly, I was really impressed with how Boston played against him. I think he hurt himself with his shot selection, which is normal. I think the Celtics forced all those turnovers, and I think that messed with him a little bit. That's why I would give the Celtics a lot of credit. I think their game plan was really good in terms of being aggressive and, and, you know, deciding when they were going to allow themselves to be put in rotation and everything. I guess, like, the reason why I still think that this is encouraging for the Sixers is because, like, he did put in that performance, and, like, they were one missed free throw away from, like, things getting really interesting in that final minute. Like, If Alec Burks makes that free throw, that second free throw, it's a three-point game with 30 seconds left. I know that's, oh, if he makes this free throw, like, it's easy to say, like, what if? I think game two, and I don't want to then all of a sudden be like, oh, I think game three, game four. But I think game two will tell us more. Like, if it's a similar style game, then, like, this could go more than five. Oh, yeah. It's so easy in the playoffs to overreact to every game. Like, I mean, we were in Milwaukee last year after game one talking about how the Celtics (laughs) are going to, like, you know, walk all over the Bucks. Like, this Bucks team is finished. And then... Like, four games later, Kyrie Irving is, like, on his way out the door, and, you know, Al Horford was, too. Like, you don't want to overreact to one game, obviously. Um, It just, I guess the difference here is that it doesn't feel like the variance is that huge for Philly. Like, it doesn't feel like they will probably get that much better. I don't think Philly gets much better than what they were tonight. And they could have won with what they were tonight. But, like, it's not like I think Philly is going to take, like, seven steps up and get so much better. It's like, no, it's pretty much who, like, we thought Philly was going to be. They were who we thought they were. (laughs) that's fair a couple of things that I thought were kind of interesting I thought the big swing factor for Philly in this series against Boston is gonna be Matisse Thibel initially I was like he can't guard Jalen and Jason like they just need to stick him on Kemba and just minimize Kemba as much as they can and and like let the other guys mess with with Tatum and Jalen but then honestly like in the second half he played a lot better against Tatum and part of that was the fact that Philly switched up their defense on Tatum they doubled a little bit more they did that kind of thing but like Thibel did a much better job on Tatum than I than I expected that's a really interesting wrinkle for Philly especially if Hayward misses any time if they can do anything to slow down Tatum I mean the Celtics just like are so much better all the time when Tatum is on the floor yeah, I wonder if Brett Brown will make a starting lineup change. I wouldn't be surprised if he feels obliged to do that because it seemed like he was already considering that for this game. And like Al Horford, I mean, he looked not that great. So I could easily see that being a, a swap. Tybal did a much better job today than uh, than I felt like Horford did on either Jalen or Jason, which again, to your point, is why I think Horford should probably be coming off the bench. I, I did think that it was interesting that the Celtics, when they ISOed against Thibel, were a lot better than when they ran pick and roll against him. His hands are so incredible. I don't know how he, he finds those angles to tip the ball away. Um, it's so impressive, but he's still really skinny. 
there was one play where he was guarding Jalen and Jalen just basically like just bodied him out of the way and, and kind of kept the ball when Thibault slapped at it and then got like an easy layup. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what they got to do against him is just like, you know, use their bulk. He's not that strong. Like he's incredibly quick and you know, incredibly nimble, but like if you can just kind of like body him off a little bit, you're going to be okay. Thibault is going to be so good once he like puts on strength and which is just like a natural thing that rookies second year, third year players do. And like, he's just going to be like locked down. Like he's got, he's got real like defensive player of the year potential. I guess another thing we could talk about is so Rob did get some minutes. Yeah. Initially it looked like Brad was going to go with that strategy of, okay, when Embiid's off, put Rob in, but then Rob did get some minutes against Embiid. He had a really good offensive rebound against him, but he just couldn't get the put back. And I feel like there were a couple mistakes for Rob tonight that were very noticeable, but like the effort was also there. Like it's yeah. hard to get on him about his mistakes now because I feel like there are things that outweigh those mistakes. Whereas in the past, it would just be like the mistakes would be the dominating thing of his night. That, that swipe at the end of the first half. <laughs> uh, I don't remember who made the layup. It might have been Josh Richardson. Um, uh, one of the Sixers guards got a, got an and one at the end of the first half. That was just like that's the old rob you had no chance of getting the steal you really had no chance of stopping the bucket your best option was to just kind of back off and let him get the layup and rob just committed the foul it was a pretty bad one hustles back to just <laughs> commit this dumb foul like <laughs> really ran the court to get back um, um he he had that he like got his own rebound after he missed a jumper and like took it to the hoop like that was I thought really impressive and just like the awareness of he noticed it was short grabbed it and like got to the basket I don't know. I think, again, there are more positives than negatives. And I don't think anything he did here, like, deters Brad from using him in the future. I would agree. I think it's noteworthy that Rob, you know, was able to kind of hold his, like, not hold his own, but, like, he did some useful things while Embiid was in the game. I mean, he picked up several fouls. I think he played 13 minutes, and I think he had four. Yeah, 13 minutes, four fouls. Uh, that's not a great ratio. I have real concerns for the Celtics with cancer, like the fact that he offers the Sixers another offensive weapon as a pick and roll guy, like, like for their pick and roll guards, like that's, that's a problem, you know, but then he had that huge offensive rebounds where he got it out to Jalen. I mean, that was, that was a massive play. Like we, we get on Cantor for his defense quite a bit and, you know, rightfully so. One of the things that I've noticed is that like my first half notes with Cantor are always just like, why is this guy in the game? And then by the second half, I'm like, oh, he did some like useful things now. Like he, he like actually helped some. One of Embiid's threes that he hit in the first half was because like Cantor just like was six and a half minutes late closing out. And like, it was just like a complete. That was like, the only good three Joel Embiid took during the game, I think. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Cantor just like closed out so slow. And I mean, you know, he, I don't know. And it's Cantor. What a, like, he's, he's kind of a complicated player for the Celtics. He had some really bad moments tonight, but I thought he had some good ones too. And I, I think, I mean, the same could be said of Rob, which is, it, it's so funny how those two, like, they both just have like moments where you're like, dude, like this guy needs to be off the court now. And then they also have moments where you're like, oh yeah, like I see the vision. I guess that makes sense as to why Brad is still continuing to go with both of them. Yeah, for sure. It's hilarious that like in the modern NBA and Brad, who is like a very modern NBA type coach, has like a stenner rotation of like five guys. Like, exactly. That in your playoff Grant rotation, Williams played. <laughs> in your like eight man playoff rotation, like they're all centers. Like yeah. it's just <laughs> 
I don't have much else on this game. I mean, it was weird. It was ugly. Like, Jalen and Jason were the reason the Celtics won. It's funny. I feel like that has become just so normalized and such a regular thing that, like, Jalen and Jason doing well just isn't brought up as a point until, like, yeah, I don't really have anything else except I guess they played well. Yeah, it was like Jalen scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. He had, like, a bunch of just, like, onions threes. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. He played good. The Celtics did get, like, little pregame messages from their family, which I thought was nice. I was hoping that they would have the family members introduce the starting lineup because I am obsessed with those videos. I think I watched the Phoenix Suns one, like, 15 times, and then I watched the Raptors one today. I loved those videos so much, so I was hoping the Celtics were going to do that. But Also, side note, how cute are Fred VanVleet's kids? Right? So, I don't know obviously what the decision was. Knowing the Celtics, I could see them being like, well, everybody deserves a message from their family. So they just went with literally everyone on the roster, but. Shout out to the Suns. They should be in the playoffs. Give give (laughs) me the Suns. Get the Blazers out of here. They're going to get swept. So like the obvious things to look for in game two are like Joel Embiid. Will he take over the game more? Gordon Hayward, will he be back? Is there anything like under the radar that you will be looking for in game two? Yeah, I mean, so related to Joel Embiid, I think one of the things that Brad has said about a hundred times now is that if you throw one look at Embiid, you're probably in trouble. And I feel like the Celtics threw a bunch of them at him today. Like the, the doubles, like the soft doubles, the hard doubles, you know, a little bit of like one-on-one coverage here and there. I would be curious to see like, how many more things can they come up with? Embiid is going to like, you know, get used to things. He's going to get used to how the Celtics guard him. He's going to get used to the various things they try to do. And I'm curious how creative the Celtics can get. It's funny for the Celtics to be playing against a team, like the one team in the league with the one player that I'm like, oh, Marcus Smart can't do anything about that guy. Any other team in the league, their best player, every once in a while, it'll be like, all right, I know Kristaps Porzingis is seven foot two, but Marcus, go guard him for a minute. You know, I know Giannis is the best player in the league. Marcus, just go cover him for a few possessions and he'll do pretty well. He literally can't do anything about Embiid. That's wild to watch. So I'm excited to see how the Celtics keep that, that balance. That, I think that'll be like a really fun punch and counter punch. How about you? I don't really know, Tom. Did you just ask a question without like any answer of your own? <laughs> One other observation that just came to mind, this is my way of getting out of answering that question. (laughs) Brett Brown's outfit was just like an untucked in button down shirt and like, was he wearing jeans? No. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not notice Brett Brown's outfit. I don't know what pants he was wearing, but like, it's just funny because like, obviously Brad is totally anti-suit and like would rather wear these polos and stuff, but like the Celtics staff still looks very buttoned up like even though they're wearing like summer league polos and stuff brooke brown's just on the sideline wearing these i forget what pants he's wearing but wearing this untucked like blue button down and it's just like such a bizarre sight i don't know i figured you wouldn't have thoughts on that but it just it stood out to me when they panned him i just like started laughing i was like what is he wearing i love it it is funny how like brad hates suits like, I've never seen, like, Brad wear a suit and been like, oh, Brad is rocking that suit. And it's because he's not comfortable in a suit. Like, he doesn't want to wear it. Also, so. he never can wear it, like, long enough to even his post-game presser. Yeah. He's always out of the suit by the time he comes to talk to us, which is, like, 15 minutes after the game ends. And Brad is not, like, a make-us-wait type coach. Like, he's prompt. I'm sure he has it down to his side. It's, like, four minutes and 30 seconds with the team, two minutes and 45 seconds to get out of my suit. <laughs> Another minute, and uh, I'm good. All right, let's go talk to the media. He's not a suit guy. During quarantine, NBC Sports Boston did, like, a segment with Brad and Danny, and they were, like, asking each other questions, sent kind of like the newlywed game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And one of the questions was, what was like the person's like biggest splurge purchase of the quarantine? For Brad, Danny said like a really nice suit and Brad just scoffed at the answer and was like, what? Do you even know me? <laughs> like he couldn't even hide like the, no, I'm that anti-suit. I'm not even going to play along he, for this game. He couldn't play along with his boss. He's just <laughs> like, no, stupid. What are you talking about? <laughs> I guess we haven't acknowledged it. Brad did get an extension. Well, that's true. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. That's actually like a noteworthy thing. It is not normal for a coach to be with a team as long as Brad Stevens has been with the Celtics, especially like a coach who has been with a team as long as he's been with the Celtics and like no end in sight. Brad's here for like the foreseeable future. Like that's, that's crazy. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So he's been here since 2013. I mean, I feel like the contract is three years at least. So that's like a full decade. I think one thing that I thought was really of no, I obviously wasn't covering, I was in high school when I think Brad was hired. Um, but at that time, I've heard that it wasn't leaked, like the Celtics just beat this. you, Nicole. <laughs> All right, I just graduated high school, sorry. Um, but I had heard that at that time, though, like nobody leaked it. Like it was the same thing as the extension. Yeah. The Celtics just announced that. And I feel like that is reflective of sort of Brad's approach and just like who he is as a person. Like nobody in his circle is leaking this information to Shams or Woj or anyone. Like they just let the team announce it. I think that's rare. Like you see Woj break so many coaching contracts, extensions, hires, and like the Celtics just are able to have their own little Woj bomb. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still reeling you being in like graduating high school when Brad was hired. I, I'm done with this pod. <laughs> I have, I have no further thoughts. But no, yeah. Happy to have Brad around longer. I mean, he's, great with the media even though he doesn't really say much he's like perfectly pleasant and if you present a thoughtful question to him he will give you a thoughtful response back even if he doesn't really want to answer it or even if he can't really answer it no I actually I was thinking about this today when he did he did his sideline report with Malika Andrews and like one of the things he said it was funny because he, he said like a bunch of like coach speak stuff but like even with it with his coach speak he'll give you like a little bit of something like he said he wanted the Celtics to play with more substance there was something kind of substanceless about the way the Celtics were playing in the third quarter like there wasn't like a whole lot of ball movement it's like the shots they were getting weren't like there wasn't any real meat on the bone with like the shots they were getting I, it just kind of made a lot of sense to me and I, I was thinking about how there's questions and how he does you know he doesn't love giving like you know long thought out answers because like he's a coach he doesn't like to give things away but he will still like he'll give you something and like I appreciate the way Brad is with the media he's he's not like going to be like a fiery quote he's not going to be like a Popovich who's like you know coming out with like guns blazing all the time but he's he's collected and he'll give you what you need Brad Stevens will never be the headline unless he's literally the messenger of information like he will never say something that will be a headline because Brad said it or something you know like he's very careful and he's very Brad Stevens SEO is really low. <laughs> um, but he knows everyone's name. He's yeah. super nice. So like you guys listening to this don't don't understand what this means to like like when you're first like starting out and you're just like, "Oh, he knows my name." All right, I don't feel so <laughs> dumb anymore. Like it actually means a lot. Like the first time that like a coach or a player calls you by your name and you're just like, "Okay, cool, cool." I feel like a human again. Because I think if you're just like a natural reporter with not that much of an ego, you just assume nobody knows who you are until you get that confirmation. Yep. So you would never want to ask for that confirmation. No. Sound like (laughs) yeah. Exactly. So when you do get it, you're like, oh, 
So anything else, Tom? I got nothing. We appreciate everybody, uh, everybody listening, everybody who's subscribed, leave us a review, shoot us a DM if you've got any suggestions, if you got anything you want to, uh, you want to hear from us. We really appreciate everyone and we will talk to you after game two.